And welcome back to the Middling Along podcast. I'm delighted to welcome this time Karen Newby, who's a registered nutritionist with over 10 years of clinical experience. She runs a specialist menopause clinic and hosts regular retreats, corporate talks and workshops on the subject. Her approach is highly practical, realistic and achievable, and her aim is to equip women with the tools to deal with menopause in our turbocharged modern day world. Her book, The Natural Menopause Method, has just been published. Welcome along, Karen. Thank you, Emma. Lovely to be here. And this is the bit where I'm quite sad that, that there's no uh, video to go along with the audio because the book is just beautiful. Um, and if we had video, I would hold it up to the camera now so you can see how beautiful it is. So you're just going to have to believe me or go out and buy your own Thank copy. You. But yeah, we were talking about this a little bit off air. It's, it's just really, really beautifully designed because I think, you know, sometimes the, the topic can be a little bit kind of dry and dusty. So yeah, it's, it's very kind of visually appealing. It's nice to to navigate. And we'll talk a little bit in due course about the sort of the structure and some of the, the ways that you've pulled out some of the interesting information to make it more kind of more accessible and, and easier to, to dip into. Oh, thank you for that, Emma. No, I really, I was really, we really wanted to, the art director I was working with at Pavilion really wanted to make something that wasn't was really feminine and wasn't clinical I didn't want anything that was pink um I was really keen to use lots of illustrations and you know the quotes because I love quotes and also to make it more like a journal style so that it was easy for women to dip into um as opposed to oh my god this is another thing that I've got on my to-do list I've got to read this book so it was very much designed with that kind of overwhelmed, frazzled brain that we all have in mind. Um, and actually, my sister-in-law, who's dyslexic, said that it's really easy to read because it's um, the ink is on isn't on white paper, and I didn't realise oh, that actually. Yes, that but makes about of it is sense. A nice pink. Well, not pink. It's kind of a corally color, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so it makes it much easier to read as well. So that was an an additional bonus, but. Yes, it's it's very much something that you don't need to read in a linear form if you if you don't want to. I can see it sort of being definitely kind of sit, sitting on the bookshelf and me kind of dipping back into it for for little reminders and uh, here and there. So I think one of the one of the things that I really like is that you've got these small shifts peppered uh, all the way throughout. So just sort of bulleted lists of uh, that are kind of relevant to the particular section. But again, I think, like you're saying, with the sort of the overwhelm and um, the sort of information overload, sometimes, I I don't know about people listening, but I I read all this good stuff and it kind of goes in, (laughs) stays there for a bit. And then, you know, you kind of forget about it. So it's nice to be able to sort of go back in and go, yeah, what was it again? And just sort of just have those little kind of reminders throughout that that help us. Absolutely. And there's a, I'm a very practical person and it's written in the way that I work with clients one-to-one. So it is about um, small attainable shifts because that's how we bring about behavior change. You know, we all know what we should be doing kind of, but we don't do it for whatever reason. So throughout the book, I was, it was really important for me to give people very easy next steps to um, create what I call like a ripple effect across the day. I never tell any of my patients to stop doing things or do this instead. 
Um, it's a very sort of, it's a, ther- you know, it's a, a, a therapeutic way of doing things, which is right. Okay, let's focus in on the first hour of your day and let's swap out the caffeine for the hot water and lemon, etc. And even if that's the only thing you do... I'm laughing because I did that this morning. I thought, well, I'm going to talk to Karen. I'm going to give it a try. And you actually, it was really good. So I I thought I would miss my coffee. I had my yeah. coffee instead at, at sort of eight o'clock instead of at seven. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's even things, it's just little tiny changes. And I say this to my patients the whole time is that a lot of my patients don't have a bad diet either. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not eating KFC and you know, having loads of takeaways and things like that, they're eating food that just isn't giving them spark plugs and, you know, those vitamins and minerals and all of the good stuff that we need. So yeah, I'm very keen to create behavior change whereby you don't feel like you're, it's minimal effort for you. As As the phrase goes, the chains of habit are too like to be felt until they're too heavy to be broken. For, for many of us, our day is so reactionary. Um, it's very ritualistic, especially with the teas and coffees or missing breakfast or tea and toast or eating on the run. And it's, you know, for me, with this kind of new year, you know, January is just always, I actually find it quite distressing to see my industry um, with the sort of, the, not necessarily in the nutritional industry, but the diet industry and and how, you know, if there was ever a month to eat well and to enjoy yourself. It <laughs> it's the worst January. possible time, isn't it, to be to be kind of starving yourself or kind of like neglecting to yeah. fuel your body. Like it goes against kind of everything that feel you want to be doing, which is hunkering down and, and kind of, yeah, really nurturing Absolutely. your body. Absolutely. And for me, it's about, it's actually about putting more food in. So as I say, my clients don't have bad diets they just have you know the tea and toast and maybe a sandwich at lunch they'll probably have you know some biscuits or whatever in the afternoon or some chocolate maybe and then they'll sort of snack before their evening meal and often their evening meal is the one that has the most nutrients in it and for me it's about making sure that those nutrients that are in your evening meal also appear in your breakfast and in your lunch and in January I'm doing a lot of work at the moment just helping women to enjoy the process of cooking or not and it it doesn't need to fall at women's door either if you have a partner that can cook as well but in in terms of um that sort of radical uh, it's quite radical really as in everything that's going in our mouths is helping to support us and and getting women used to thinking no I am going to take time to nourish myself and if that means that I have to be you know, 15 minutes later at work, then so be it, um, or at my desk. Um, you know, the amount of women that I see that don't take time to eat or are eating on the go, and then they're not even, they're sort of passively eating. And then after they've eaten, they're sort of hungry again, or they're, they're like, oh, well, I, because they haven't actually acknowledged that they've eaten anything, that kind of thing. So it's about actually stepping back from that kind of fight or flight pedal where you know we're all doers we're all massively multitaskers we work hard but at the detriment of our our nutrient status we're kind of starving really even though we've got a lot of energy dense foods but we've got low nutrient dense foods Mm. and I think 
for many of us as well we we kind of you were talking about sort of patterns and habits you know we maybe if we are time poor you know we'll we'll kind of we'll have a list of of fail safe recipes that we always kind of revert to (laughs) like either because we know both the kids will eat that and it's kind of reasonably uh, you know we know how to make it and so yeah there's an element as well of of kind of having to to break out of those those patterns I mean, yeah. do you have any good suggestions for for how to how to approach that if if someone's you know is it is it maybe sort of trying to kind of bring in something every week so that you're kind of gradually building up? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of ways, and I, I totally get that. I think for a lot of women with children, and you know, some of us are going through menopause but have young children in the house. You know, I see clients that have stopped breastfeeding in their early forties and then bang into perimenopause. Mm. Or we have teenagers in the house, which is which is what I'm experiencing, which has its other kind of, uh, you know, nice, nice, nice combinations going on. Oh, my goodness. But there is. And, and I totally get that. But there is that thing of like, right, I'm going to cook this because I know everyone will eat it. Because the last thing we want is to be cooking things and our children not eat it. And it's mm. just or trying to do three different dinners. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So for younger children, there is still that thing of I'm very much about having something that you will both eat but amending it for yourself and amending it for them. So you're you're kind of cooking one thing, but you're adding things in for yourself and adding stuff in for them. So for example, something like, a, I don't know, a, a, you know, I'm a big fan of doing kind of paellas and things like, well, you know, rice-based dishes. And for them, for the kids, you can, you know, rustle up some chicken thighs or, you know, do some prawns in, in butter and things like that. For, for, for you as well, you can have it as well. But if you're kind of vegetarian or wanting to eat, even more plants you can just you know have a bit of that protein as well but have the paella together and then have more greens or that kind of thing and it's like when you're cooking chili um because that's another big win for kids then making veggie chili you know children generally don't realize the difference so having you know lots of black beans which have loads of magnesium in cooking with lots of peppers you know chopping up mushrooms really tiny so they can't see them but um, you know mushrooms get that lovely kind of meaty texture and then you know they can have them with their taco shells and all that whereas you can have it with you know a massive amount of guacamole which is you know you make it with loads of avocados loads of lime loads of coriander loads of chopped red onion and tomatoes and um you know you can have that with some rice you know make some brown rice or have some white rice have a little white rice i'm very much not anti-carb and things like shepherdless pie is another one um which is you know if you make it with poi lentils um and again using kind of uh, mushroom paste and things like that that give it that meaty texture and if you've got your potatoes on top and loads of cheese generally they will eat it and I think the thing is with children, um, because I do, you know, I do work with children as well in my practice, mm. um, although less so now. But, uh, you know, children um, know what they like and like what they know. So familiarity is key. And I think with a lot of kids in the, you know, around 10, 11, you can move them on um, into away from more kind of nursery foods and into more kind of adult foods. And then by the time they're teenagers, I mean, my, my kids, they eat everything that we do and have done now for the last, you know, six years, really, largely because I cannot do the short course chefing. But also I do think, you know, we have such a brain fog because we're so exhausted. And suddenly <laughs> our kids are like 10 and we're still cooking them stuff that we cooked them when they were five. And it's like, okay, I can manually now, I need to think, okay, I can move them on a bit. 
However, so with children, as I say, familiarity is key. So if you are introducing a new thing, always have what you know they will eat on the plate um, and then have, you know, these extra bits and bobs for them to try. And actually, a lot of the time, if they see you eating it, they will try it. And, you know, we don't want to have mealtime as a battleground. Um, You know, it's very, very important to make sure that it's a really positive experience. I like having dishes, you know, so... For example, we cook a lot of Asian food. I used to live in China and Vietnam and, you know, Asian cookery is so fun and it has a bit of drama about it. And, you know, kids love all the little bits and bobs that you put on it, like, you know, the shallots, you know, the dried shallots and things like that. And, you know, the using chopsticks and um, that kind of thing, putting in on the ginger and things. And again, you know, putting lots of plates in the middle of the table allows children to have ownership of what goes onto their plate as well, which I always think is really important. And it helps them to um, trial new things as well but you know Asian food for example you know even like stir fries and things you know adding in some tofu they might not want to eat all the tofu but you know they they might surprise yeah. you as well oh my son's a recent tofu convert he's yeah. he's 12 and he's vegetarian so uh, very very pleased that he's kind of finally come around to, to tofu and uh, you know again sort of so much of we're trying to sort of double down on good nutrition and any other tips for kind of keeping keeping the joy and uh, of, and the sort of the love of food and not just being a bit like oh god I've got to have some plain boiled salmon and some broccoli and some you know vulgar wheat and then it feels like no, you're being punished no for me what drives me to cook every evening and I usually spend between 45 minutes to an hour max from start to finish on my evening meal. Any more than that, that's just, you know, I have really easy, quick evening meals that, you know, if I've got really low bandwidth on a Monday and a Tuesday, for example. So things like stir fries are so easy and delicious. Things like tray bakes, but actually what drives me to cook every evening like that is because I I like good tasting food. Mm. And for me the way that I work with my clients is to rewire our brain to think actually, yes, I, you then, the more you cook from scratch, the more you experiment with new recipes, um, the more you kind of, you crave that home cooked food and that you don't necessarily want to have a bowl full of pasta or, um, you know, something that you just sort of popped in the oven. I don't mean we need to be having cordon bleu food or, you know, Michelin star (laughs) food, but you know, like last night, for example, I made a pilav from a very old Moro cookbook that I have, and it really doesn't take long. It's literally four cloves of garlic, massive chunk of butter, because I'm a big advocate for fat. Oh, good. It's my friend, <laughs> definitely. And it has olive oil in it. And, you you know, you just simmer the uh, the the um, garlic, and then you add in the, a tin of tomatoes, and then you add in the rice. It's so simple and cheap, and it tastes, at, and then you put loads of parsley in at the end. It tastes divine. And I had it with some oven baked salmon. And I baked some, when, when I've got the salmon in the oven, I was baking some tiny little peppers, which are just delicious. And then I had some rocket with it as well. So if you make more of it as well, you have it for lunch the next mm. day. So that's a big thing for me is that when you're cooking tray, so tray bakes for me, massive winner, minimal washing up. You know, there's a website called whisk.com, as in whisk, as in... Um, oh, okay. I didn't know that one. ...utensil. And I have a community page on there. I have three pages. One is simple midweek evening meals, quick evening meals. And then I've got sort of some menopause-specific recipes. And then I've got some on-the-go lunches. 
Um, so have a look at those. And these are literally recipes that I've gleaned from the internet, you know, because actually for recipes, in the internet is 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 a great tool. Um, There's so much choice out there, isn't there? And I think when we're, yeah, coming back to that thing about easy. being time poor again. It's like, yeah. yeah. You can just you can just Google what ingredient you've got. You know, like if you've got cauliflower, you know, I found a great recipe, you know, a lovely, easy cauliflower curry, which is as cauliflower peas and it had spinach in it as well. But it was just delicious. And so curries are a big thing as well. And kids like curries and they like all the drama that goes with the you know, little flatbreads and, you know, the naan breads and you know, a little bit of writer. And it, it, it then makes food uh, celebration. And I'm all for food a celebration. And the, as I said at the start, my clients don't have bad diets, but they just have very sort of sad diets that, that, that just look really kind of unappetizing or just going through the motions of eating actually um which is why then we need this kind of biscuits and you know chocolate to to give us a, a lift so yeah so it's just trying to find that somewhere else <laughs> the more that you feed your body the more that you feed your brain with all of these spark plugs the minerals the vitamins the omega-3 fats protein the more the the body craves these things. And, and certainly with my work with children, you can see that when you give um, supplements, for example, to kids that are very fussy eaters, that this kind of changes their palate. Um, it helps them, you know, just rejig really. Because I think that's, that's one thing that parents do fall into the trap of is starting to cook what only what their children will eat. And then they're definitely guilty of that one. <laughs> narrower and narrower and become very beige yeah I'm I'm all about celebrating food I want all of my patients to wake up feeling hungry and refreshed and for me they are the two biggest parameters for health if you if you have those things when you wake up your day is going to be in control and I, th- I think the problem that we have is that our food choices are so reactionary and if mm. you're not one step ahead of that that's when we crave or you know chocolate or toast or sandwiches or pasta you know remember pasta is just a bowl of sugar really or wine or chocolate that's because we're exhausted and we're or we have a blood sugar low and in the book you know right up front I talk about blood sugar balancing and I can't tell you how important that is to help you get ahead of cravings is blood sugar balancing and and estrogen helps us keep our blood sugar balance so if we're if that's fluctuating and falling we're we're kind of having to try and counteract definitely so you know this sort of domino effect happens in our metabolism when we go through menopause or when we start menopause or you know perimenopause can start in our early 40s and I think you know I remember in my early 40s thinking god I'm so tired and, you know, me and my friends, you know, we had younger kids then, although they were around 10, but all of all of us were sort of having tired offs as to who was more yeah. tired. And actually, <laughs> looking back on it, that was probably the start of my metabolism changing. So estrogen makes us glucose sensitive. And once that starts to roller coaster, this makes us become glucose intolerant. We, we become almost, we're not diabetic, but we become very... Um, sensitive to highs and lows of sugar if you if you get any kind of feeling shaky or faint or clammy or need to eat now you get that hangry or you're a different person after eating these are all signs of blood lows in blood sugar so what can we do with that I, I never say to people to take sugar out the diet because that's not realistic and it's not you know long-term 
you know, as soon as you put the sugar back in, everything comes back. So it's about crowding out that need for sugar with more protein. So breakfast is so important. Protein rich breakfast, you know, eggs. I've had a boiled egg this morning, which is delicious. And I, you know, often I alternate with kind of eggs, whichever, whichever way, or, you know, avocados with, you know, grilled mushrooms and tomatoes. The, the brilliant thing about hybrid working is that we do have time if we're not commuting on those days to have a cooked breakfast. And it doesn't have to take long. It really doesn't take long. For me, any kind of breakfast out of a cereal pack will not keep you going, will not sustain you. And it's refined massively and it's just giving you carbs. It's not giving you anything else, really. No sustenance. And obviously high protein granolas with lots of nuts and seeds. No, um, don't have granolas with any of the dried fruit because that's just sugar lumps. Um, you know, full fat yogurt with your granola. Have some ground linseed on top, which is a great phytoestrogen and a great source of protein. And the same with your porridge as well. So, you know, if we have a good protein rich breakfast, you know, if people were to eat their evening meal for breakfast, they would feel so much better. And actually in Asia, they do. They eat, I mean, you know, in India, you'll be fed a curry at breakfast and it's the most delicious thing ever. You know, a dope with a dosa, you know, yeah. it's, it's divine and we used to have that we used to have the big english breakfast the big fry up which you know i i tell you a lot of kids as well if you know when i'm working with adhd kids and things they would hugely benefit from that as well it would mean that their concentration is much better at school whereas all these highly processed cereals with you know we're not even having full fat milk anymore we're having semi skims they're not even getting the fat from the milk mm-hmm. um just they burn it off too quick. So yeah, fat protein, you know, is really important. And then, you know, as soon as you have a good protein rich breakfast, you'll notice that you don't need something at 11 o'clock. You can just drink water in between your meals or have a herbal tea, but you will sustain yourself till lunchtime whereas all of these kind of 16 8 where literally the 16 8 for most people is just oh I just miss breakfast because I'm not hungry that to me if you were doing the 16 8 I would recommend doing breakfast and a late lunch (laughs) and you know having nothing in the evening Mm. kind of thing but you know that doesn't serve us well either at menopause I would say a 12 to 14 hour fast is very easy for most of us to do overnight and that just gives our digestive system a break and remember the liver is part of our digestive system so all of these things help to you know in in january these messages about sinful foods are still spoken about aren't they in slimming world which i just i have so many issues with we have a very messed up attitude towards a lot of the food a lot of the time I mean, don't we? i'm all for a little bit of what you fancy you know if you're gonna have a cake please have a full fat cake with full sugar none of this beetroot stuff you know i have chocolate most days but i'm eating vegan raw chocolate like on bar and raw halo and those kinds of brands because the bitterness means that you don't need so much of it but it just kind of gives you a little bit of endorphins so i i am actually for most women i want you to eat more and and then suddenly your metabolism will change and it will speed up and your thyroid will be happy because it's not in starvation mode and you know you'll then want to move more because you're you're actually fueling your body i mean for most women we are absolutely 
running on empty. I want to go back to the uh, go back to the book briefly because the the sort of the last section is another one that that I think a lot of people will find really helpful. Where you're talking about specific symptoms, and obviously, you know, we know that everyone is going to sort of experience their perimenopause differently, and you know, symptoms come and go. Or let's pick out the um. So you've got one for anxiety, panic attacks, and heart palpitations. So. I just really like the way that you you kind of structure these bits. So it's kind of talking about the, what, the symptom, why that's happening, and then how you might be able to to address that through nutrition and, and sort of different food groups. I think it's it's just really useful. And again, something to kind of to go back and and dip into. I, I wanted it to be something that you could, if you had a specific issue, that you could just quickly get a sort of a. Uh, I call it sort of a bit of a toolbox, really, because actually our symptoms change as we go through perimenopause. You know, we can start Mm. perimenopause with feeling a lot of anxiety and a lot of low mood. And then, you know, the hot flushes don't happen until sort of the second stage of perimenopause when our periods change. I mean, you know, for most of our perimenopausal journey or for I mean, everyone's different. But for a lot of us, you know, a lot of the time we will still be cycling normally or, you know, our normal cycle. So, you know, the book is a kind of compendium, really, a sort of a companion um, throughout the whole process. And I, I wanted, you know, with nutritional therapy, it's not linear. You know, it's not just, oh, if you've got anxiety, then you just do this. There are lots of different things, like I said, you know, like you say, things to consider. Um, and then you go back to the the first, you know, the part two, which is going through the four kind of main shifts, which are looking at your stress levels, looking at your how well your liver and gut is functioning, and then looking at how well you're sleeping and looking at then how what you're eating. And then, you know, the, the, the troubleshooting is a little bit on top, the icing on the cake, if you like, because, you know, for me, I wanted women to see that there is research, a lot of research on specific nutrients for specific ailments. And certainly anxiety is one when you look yeah. at magnesium, when you look at zinc. And, I, you know, that's why I've referenced as much as possible, because, you know, my background, you know, I've done a BSc in nutritional medicine it is all based in biochemistry and I wanted I wanted it to be evidence-based um you know omega-3 and depression you know stacks of research on that regardless of perimenopause actually mm. so everything is backed up with research that you know because I want people to see how robust you know nutritional therapy is um, and then of course there's a, a little supplement section as well for each of them um, and this is just, you know, some supplements that I see work really well in my practice because supplements is is such a minefield. The book was written, uh, you know, it, was, it came out in, in October, but it was it was kind of completed the year before. So even some of those supplement names have probably changed. But the supplement companies that I, talk, you know, talk about, and I don't work for any of them, but all really good companies. And I, I want them to be I want them to be shouted about because there's so many massive rubbish companies that have huge amounts of money that just aren't aren't in my opinion worth the worth the money so it, it is a bit of a minefield and obviously you know we don't have to take supplements uh, you know yeah. on, on top of the the sort of the dietary sort of changes and and um, suggestions yeah, that you're putting out here but clearly you know they do they do work for some people for some people they're just going not going to be necessarily an affordable option absolutely and I I would I would like to just add to that that actually if you change up how you're eating not even what you're eating but even how you're eating and then what you're eating that you know don't underestimate the power of food 
without supplements. So yes, mm. I agree. You don't so always try that first and see how you on get some on. Some of the supplement brands I'm, I talk about are expensive, but there is so much you can do without them that will make a big difference. They're not, the, the thing is with supplements is sometimes they can speed up the process. Sometimes, for example, with digestive issues, they can help to break catch-22s, but you can still work very effectively without them. So yeah, don't, don't feel that that is essential. One of the other things that uh, I said to you off air before we started that I hadn't known about before I read your book there is a sort of a tendency in in midlife that our sort of fat distribution changes and it kind of ends up around the middle I mean you can't basically go anywhere online without being targeted by adverts for things to do with your meno belly or whatever godforsaken thing we're calling it now but um but on a kind of more serious note that you know there are we know that there are health issues associated with carrying that visceral fat but also you talk about that fat sort of being responsible for this aromatization process mm-hmm. and can you talk yeah. a bit more yeah. about what that is because yeah, i've so heard that before it affects testosterone and the conversion to more estrogens and you know, that weight around the middle is so unhelpful. Um, and it's often called the worry waste because it is a cortisol kind of stress link. Um, but it also um, is a symbol of more male pattern of weight gain, which comes when our um, estrogen is out of ratio with testosterone. And testosterone actually doesn't change that much throughout menopause, but the ratios do change. And this is why we can then have male pattern baldness starting to happen, or we can start to get um, hairs on our chin and hirsutism um, because of the more kind of androgens, more kind of um, dominant versus estrogen. However, you know, the more this this brown fat around the middle doesn't work in the same way as fat on our arms and on our thighs and on our butt, which is inert. That's basically where we should be storing fat. This brown fat becomes its own endocrine system. And it starts to um, convert, you know, into testosterone into more estrogen. And this can affect our testosterone levels, which is why I think there is an issue with libido. So for me, it's, you know, helping women, helping the body release this stored fat is is very important. And And the way that we do that is to get the body out of fight or flight mode and into rest and digest mode because it's holding on to that fat. And this is why I talk about sort of hormonal roadblocks to weight loss, which, you know, if you go to a Slimming World or a Weight Watchers, you know, they're not addressing those kinds of issues um, that we have at perimenopause. You know, however much cardio you do and calorie restriction, that weight around the middle will stay um, because it's a kind of a a stress response from the body. So, yeah, so it it can um, then create more kind of, estrogen which you think would be more which would be helpful at perimenopause (laughs) but it's not the kind of the the right kind of estrogen it's much more proliferative form of estrogen um, and can then create more kind of estrogen dominant symptoms like breast cysts and heightened pms things like um endometriosis you know endometriosis and fibroids and and even certain um, breast cancers are estrogen sensitive heavy periods for example is often a, a an early kind of sign of perimenopause where you know heightened estrogen can actually increase the lining of the womb and cause heavier periods um and and this is why you know at perimenopause we can at the start of perimenopause we can actually get a hyperstimulation of estrogen which causes a lot of these symptoms. So perimenopause, I, I I always talk about it as sort of roller coasters. It's not necessarily deficiency, you know, or you know, I can't bear that word that's bounded around of deficiency and 
disorder. Um, it's just roller coastering, and and that's why we have these far-reaching symptoms. So yeah, the 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 um the brown fat as well around the middle also starts to kick out cytokines, which are inflammatory molecules, and this is why menopause is very much an inflammatory transition. So that's why having more anti-inflammatory foods in your diet is really important. Estrogen is our is an is an anti-inflammatory. So oh. this is why we we start to you know with that slight dip in estrogen. This is why we can then become more inflamed, which means more aches and pains and um, you know that that kind of thing, bloating. Um, mm. So there's a lot going on. Yeah, but there's also yeah, I'm encouraged by by you know how much we can do to to kind of help ourselves for anyone who's who's feeling overwhelmed at the thought of <laughs> trying to uh, to eat the the right in inverted commas stuff to to try and support themselves through this stage in life this is a, a really kind of helpful book that'll kind of hold your hand through all of that uh, it's not gonna give you a hard time <laughs> you say as Karen said if you have a cake now and again definitely recommend it it's a, it's a fantastic book oh thank you Emma no I wanted it to be a yeah a, a, a friendly kind of guide you know as as a therapist you know I'm on I'm on my patient side and I, I want to help you bring about change in a gentle in a gentle way that will, will work with your with your busy worlds so if you're listening to this in January be gentle with yourself start small and build from there and ignore all the diet stuff for goodness sake do not go on a diet they don't work (laughs) thank you karen it was lovely chatting to you thanks for having me you've been listening to the middling along podcast do remember to subscribe to be notified when our next episode is live and why not visit the blog at www.middlingalong.com to sign up to my newsletter as well i do hope you enjoyed listening today if you did I'd be really grateful if you would consider leaving a short review as that helps people find the podcast and helps get it noticed. Hope you can join us next time. Goodbye for now.